0: I'm Jessie. And I'm Michelle. Perfectionism, I think, is really rampant across all musicians, singers and instrumentalists and pretty much anyone else. In fact, I would say that it's pretty rampant across just our entire generation. Yep. I think part of it is probably just being on the Internet so much. You can see people and it always seems like they're a lot further along than you are. And just the reality that with the Internet, you can kind of edit out all your mistakes. You know, people only see the highlight reel of success. Just something we talked a little bit about in our Singer's Iceberg episode. But beyond that, I think there are a couple of reasons that musicians like singers, especially, are perfectionists. I think the first one is that we, we work in a field where we are openly criticized and not in always in a terrible way. Obviously, the word criticism carries a really heavy weight when you say it. Criticism is largely constructive. You receive criticism all the time which means sometimes it's going to catch you on a bad day and you're not going to be able to take it constructively it's going to affect your mood and it's going to affect how you see yourself
1: yeah definitely um i think also just like the need for approval we are rejected so constantly in auditions and in different settings where things just don't quite work out for x amount of reasons and we can fall into the mindset that we really do need that approval from others which obviously like you know Approval is good, but it's not something that we should rely on. And I think that need for approval really kind of turns the criticism towards ourselves and kind of creates this area of, of desperation for
0: it. Yeah, and I think that's especially true for people like classical musicians where we are constantly fighting for the approval of like this very much preformed structure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are orchestras and opera houses that have been around for generations. I feel like there's a lot more options for success outside of classical music in a way that classical music doesn't quite have at this moment, because we are often trying to be seen in these large competitions and everything. And so that kind of approval is a lot harder to come by because we're not so much in the mainstream. We can't pick up audiences the way non-classical musicians can. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we will, but right now we're not at that place. You know, and I don't think in any other field of music you have quite as much focus on the right way to do things. You know, we spend a ton of years studying diction and posture and uh, historically accurate (laughs) representation of characters, historically accurate ornamentation. There's a lot of things you have to do right in classical music, which, once again, you might have a lot more wiggle room in other genres. And I think that heavily plays into Just that need that once again, that need for approval and that fear of criticism.
1: Definitely. Yeah, it's a very competitive field. So being in a position where you're constantly feeling like you kind of working against other singers is very difficult because when other people get the role or get the offer or contract, it's hard to not put that on yourself and Use that sometimes in an unhealthy way to be like, well, I must have not been good enough. I must have not been as prepared. Like, my interpretation must be lacking. And you can nitpick all these things because you're constantly competing with others.
0: Nowadays, we are all sending off videos and tapes and things, so it's easier than ever to compare yourself to others you can see them all and not only that it's easier to nitpick yourself because you have these permanent mediums (laughs) with which to see yourself
1: yeah the accessibility of video and being able to look at your favorite opera singers online or other people who maybe you don't even know personally but have followed them and see their content that room for comparison that accessibility can actually be very damaging because the perfectionist mindset is to kind of not see like you said the parts that maybe didn't make it into their highlight reel so to speak and seeing these singers who are several steps ahead of you in their career and kind of put yourself in the position of why aren't i that good why aren't i getting these opportunities why blah 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 blah, can be very a very bad area to continually be in But it's so easy to live in that world when literally you tap your phone and there it is.
0: I think you have to remember that any recording is multiple takes. Oh, yeah. Unless it's a live recording. That's not how somebody performed every single day they were on stage. I think that's the importance of going out and seeing a lot of performers perform live Is you'll hear voice cracks. You'll watch people forget words. You'll watch things happen on stage that don't happen in those nice recordings. And it's important to remember that that does happen to everybody. But it's easier now than ever to watch people do recordings and things and not feel like anyone else is messing up. And I think that's what's really crazy. And I I know that gives me a bit of anxiety sometimes that I have to remind myself that we all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I already kind of know the answer to this because we work together, but... (laughs) Oh what do you tell me, Michelle? Uh, a little bit about how perfectionism presents itself for you, because you and I are really opposites when it comes to this.
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm. I'm very like I don't know. Perfectionism shows itself in different ways, but I feel like I am a very textbook kind of perfectionist. Um, and the way that I kind of respond to it personally is, I truly work myself into the ground. I am constantly working. I get really anxious if I'm not working. That's something that I often have to kind of work on myself on. The idea that just because I'm not accomplishing maybe a task that's related to what I do professionally doesn't necessarily mean that my time is being wasted. And so when I'm looking at music, usually this means I am maybe practicing for too long. I'm maybe putting too much music on my plate to learn effectively. So trying to learn too much rep too quickly and getting frustrated as to why I can't suddenly learn all of this music instantly because I want to or practicing for too long or just nitpicking things prior or after a rehearsal. So my tendency is definitely to just work all the time. And I think a thing that we'll talk about and something that I've noticed is just because I'm working all the time doesn't necessarily mean that my work is efficient.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't relate.
1: (laughs) No. No. So Jesse, give us your take.
0: (laughs) Pretty, I'm a pretty typical type B personality. And I think this also relates to my ADHD, but I'm a huge procrastinator. I can plan how I want to do something forever. I can make list after list of how to work through something and not start it. It is still an obsession with perfection. It just presents itself differently. I want things to be perfect before I start. I'm obsessed with having the right tools for the job. I will... Not start something because I don't think I've thought all of the possibilities through yet. It's a huge movement to overcome that initial inertia when you have that in front of you. Mm -hmm. So I will put off projects. And I think the other side of that is that if I procrastinate, it gives me an excuse as to why something isn't good. Mm. Well, it would have been good if I had enough time. Because if I spend all of the time that I wanted to spend on that project, on that project, and it turns out poorly then it feels like it's something wrong with me as opposed to something wrong with my time management. There's a deep, there's a deep psychological issue there too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, and then the other part of that is ADHD. My ability to judge how long things are going to take is better now because I'm aware of the fact that I have ADHD, but I have trouble judging that.
1: Mm That makes sense. It definitely can be hard to start something when you don't have that guarantee of success beforehand. Oh, yeah. Or like you said, if you don't have the tools that you feel that you need, I definitely can get caught up in that. If I'm starting a project and I don't have the material or ahead of time, it it definitely makes it tough to start. What
0: a terrible strategy, though, because like the sooner you start, the sooner you know what else you're going to need, the sooner you can revise and get it to the place you want it to be. The best thing you can do is slap it out there and then just revise it all. Whatever the project is, I promise. Like, there's an initial amount of planning that needs to go into every project. Don't get me wrong. I've been on both sides of that equation as well. I've not prepared enough and then I've started something and realized I had none of the supplies or necessary, like, information to do the thing. But it's, uh, to me, far worse to be on the other side of it, where you have all the stuff and you just keep not starting because you're like, oh, well, maybe I should do it this way instead. Yeah. Yeah, just so you know, that paper you're not writing, just slap whatever it is on a paper and then revise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: But there are tons of signs of perfectionism, and they're all huge sources of anxiety for singers. So we're going to go through some other ways that it presents itself that are not necessarily particularly to Michelle and I, though I think we'll vibe with quite a few of them. Yeah. Start us off. Number one, having unrealistic standards or timelines. Hi, this is me. I've been called out by myself.
1: But I did not want to be seen so early in this list. <laughs> I did not
0: want to be seen like this. But this is a huge one for me. Uh, and it happened. it's happened in music, visual arts, uh, papers I've written. Like, There's this obsession that like, I have to be good at something right away. And that, that's awful. You never, no one's good at everything right away. There are going to be things that are going to be a slog. But when you're obsessed with perfection and you're obsessed with the result over the process of learning, this is what happens. You start to say like, well, I'm a smart person or I'm a good musician, so I should be able to learn this Britain piece today. And that's not how good things happen.
1: Yeah, this is just me in a nutshell and me being a kind of workaholic, I will sometimes set a goal for me to have something completely learned or completely done like ASAP when sometimes my work would be better if I just chilled out and took the appropriate time to actually get it done over a day or two or a couple days. So I feel like we often put this pressure on ourselves to get things done or to have things learned or to attain a skill that we've never worked on before just instantly. And it just, it doesn't work like that 99% of the time.
0: Yeah, no, nothing good comes from something like that. And it's it's an obsession. It's kind of a, a, almost an egotistical thing when you get to the heart of it, mm-hmm. which is fine. We all have self-perceptions and things that cause us to have expectations. But the best thing I think you can do for yourself is remove expectation from the equation. But the other part of this is that when you have all these personal expectations and these really tight timelines where you're just going to power through something in one day, it also puts you into... This place where you're really focused on results over your actual process and it's a very much an all or nothing kind of attitude where if it's not perfect, you don't care. You don't want it. You're just going to toss it.
1: Yeah, I think that people don't realize that like there are very, very, very few things that are quote unquote perfect. And so it's just an unrealistic standard to hold yourself to. Usually the learning happens in the process right? Like you could get something done and still have not learned anything or had something to take away from it. You were just stressed about getting it done, which isn't really the right approach, even though, you know, it's so cringe to people who are perfectionists to think about like, the journey is in the process. That's where like the magic happens. You're like, "Ugh, no, Thank I just want to that get mom it done." Meme. Right? <laughs> but at the same that time, it's
0: Facebook it, mom meme, right?
1: But at the same time it is so true. Like that's where the learning does happen. That's where the enjoyment happens. So,
0: you have to learn to enjoy the process. Yeah. Because that's just that is how you learn. That is how you grow as a person and that is how you find joy in things. I was reading something I was reading something about someone who h- was talking about quarantine and they were saying that they hated cooking. <laughs> but their problem was they hated the actual process of cooking. Like they liked the food, but they were like, ah, oh, cooking takes so long. They just, they didn't, and now that's, you can hate cooking, that's fine. But they weren't actually focusing on the process of learning new things and tasting and trying and what makes cooking actually kind of a joyful experience. And I think the same thing comes into, you know, practicing and learning new music the joy should be partially in like sitting down and enjoying the poetry and listening to the melody and taking in the story of the piece like there should be enjoyment there should be joy in that it shouldn't be something you rush through so you can get to the the performing part of it you kind of have to teach yourself to enjoy it and to how to take joy in that process because i realize that performing is a lot of fun i understand but we also have to take joy in the moments by ourselves where we get to form a piece. Yeah, and
1: I think you also, if you're in the classical music or just the music world in general, you have to understand that the time that you spent on stage is what? 10%, 15% of your job, right? So the vast majority of your time is spent in a practice room. It's spent in rehearsals. It's spent learning music. It's spent educating yourself and reading books or watching performances, going to the opera. And so it's unfair to yourself to kind of neglect the 80%, the 85% of your time and your job to only value the small percentage of time that you actually spend on stage. So I feel like you would be a much happier musician if you really did take the time to enjoy the process.
0: Our next two are kind of a pair, which is fear of judgment and inside of that being hypercritical of others. This was a really big one for me, and I think it was The hypercritical of others was partially insecurity. It's easy to tear people down in your mind when you're not feeling good about yourself. But the problem with that is when you are hypercritical of others, you assume everyone else is also hypercritical of you, which is not true. Most people don't think about you (laughs) during their day. That's that's the wonderful thing about the world. Most people aren't thinking about you at all. It's a nice, refreshing thing to think about. Yeah. But yeah, when you're obsessed with perfection, when you're obsessed only with the product and not with the process and making progress as a whole, you're terrified of what other people think because you think that a singular thing is representative of who you are as a whole, which is not true. It's just one tiny piece.
1: Yeah. And this all comes down from the fact that we're constantly in competition with each other and that need for approval.
0: Do you find yourself being hypercritical, especially of like other singers? Um, yes. I don't think I am so much anymore, but especially when I was more insecure, I was. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I honestly, (laughs) it's a very emotionally tied thing for me. I When I'm in a bad mood, I'm very critical of others.
0: Well, that's fair.
1: So when I am upset with how... I performed or if I'm just having a bad day I'm much more prone to be like well (laughs) that's just not very good (laughs) or like yeah it's good but your diction is all over the place like how could you even sing knowing that but I don't experience that often I'm usually I've kind of tried to train myself figure out what people are doing that I do like and note that instead of nitpicking on the things that I personally perceive them as not doing well
0: yeah, well, and there's a difference between being what I'm describing here, which is hypercritical, which is really, truly nitpicky and just negative in attitude, than being critical when you listen to another right. singer sing. Those are two different things. One is much more emotional, and another one is just doing what we do as trained singers, which is listen for what we like and don't like in another singer's interpretation. Yeah. That that's, that's not what I'm talking about. That's a good thing to, for everyone right. to do. Yeah, and I think because of this, this whole fear of judgment and the being hypercritical, you also see a lot of fear of failure and real risk avoidance. So people don't put themselves in uncomfortable positions when they're perfectionists because, you know, it's hard to be perfect in a situation where you can't keep all the variables in mind. Yeah. Which I think is why it's really important for singers to do things that make them uncomfortable. And that could be anything. You know, we talked the other week about how uncomfortable singers are in dance calls for musicals and things. It's really important for you to go out there and sometimes look dumb. Not maybe in a dance call, <laughs> in a dance class. <laughs> don't don't maybe don't put that yourself in that position in an audition. Important but, distinction. Uh, it's important for you as an artist to continue to push yourself and put yourself in uncomfortable positions because it humbles us and it makes us better and it reminds us of how much there is to learn.
1: I also feel seen by this one and I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I I definitely resonate
0: that's funny i don't see you as a risk avoidant person at all i you know i think
1: largely i'm not but i can think of a when i when i read this an immediate tangible example comes in in that i tend to avoid auditioning for the really big yaps and competitions because i put this pressure on myself that i'm not there yet
0: oh. and
1: i often audition for things that are not necessarily like i mean everything is a little bit of a reach right when you're going into an audition but i try to keep things that are within like a certain (laughs) threshold of what i would consider a reach and not these bigger programs my entire existence is a
0: reach yeah and i
1: really should be doing more of that because you really Never know what's going to stick. And I think the thing that, you know, I talk about with my voice teachers, she'll be like, why aren't you auditioning for these things? Like we should be doing, we're like past where you're auditioning for. We need to look at other things. And I'll be like, I don't know I just I don't feel like I have the experience out of school or I don't think that I'm as good as my friend who got into that when the reality is when you graduate with a master's everybody's going off into the stars right like just shooting high and that I feel like is a better approach than holding yourself back for no reason because a lot of the people I graduated with are doing all of these things and getting into these programs so why would I assume that I wouldn't have a shot as well.
0: See, this is where we're at. That
1: risk of, of failure. I love risk.
0: <laughs> it makes me nervous. Get, let me fail. Extraordinary. <laughs> no, uh, not that I love failure. But if there's a reason why something might fail, if it's a reach, if it's, you know, or improv or anything like that. I love it. <laughs> let me add it. Because then there's a reason why something didn't happen. I, I love that. Give me the risk. <laughs> I will take it. But no, that's it's very true. And that's, you know, that's another way. I wasn't thinking of risk avoidance in those terms, but that's very real. You know, that's definitely something I look at. I just, on the other hand, blatantly ignore the fact that I don't think my resume is <laughs> up to snuff yet and just throw it at people anyway. But my problem is I, m- I maybe go too too high sometimes and I go too out of my bounds and I don't look smaller and necessarily more reasonable Because that would be, that would probably hurt more to get rejected from. Yeah. (laughs) So, so there you go. Uh, Two perspectives on the same issue. Excuse me. I'm going to send this
1: podcast episode to my therapist. (laughs) Please dissect Michelle and all of her problems. (laughs) And (laughs) Jesse.
0: Love that. This really plays into it too, which is not being able to take constructive criticism, Uh, taking constructive criticism personally. This is a really important thing I think for everybody to learn, especially when you're in the arts. And let me say this, there are tons of teachers and people out there who will make their criticism personal. Mm -hmm. That is not what I'm talking about. Those people are wrong and they're doing a bad thing. Yeah. But when you're getting regular constructive criticism, you know, when you know that something's not right to, or you didn't do the work, or you did do the work but you didn't do it the right way, which happens, it's just going to happen. You're not going to be prepared for every single thing that comes your way. You have to learn to not make it personal. Yeah. A bad moment or, you know, not necessarily having perfect diction or perfect stances or, you know, they didn't like your choices, whatever it was. That is not a personal judgment on you. It is not a reflection of your value as a human being. And that's really hard to do when you identify as a musician. Which is why I think it's important to have a multifaceted identity outside of just being a musician, because there are just going to be days where you have to fall back on other things Mm -hmm. in terms of your self-worth.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: You got to learn to depersonalize it because it's just about performing and entertaining people. It's not about your value as a person. But when you are a perfectionist, everything is a reflection of you as a person. Everything you do plays into your value as a person and that's incredibly unhealthy yeah
1: you definitely need to develop a filter for these different types of criticisms because you can even get some pretty good constructive criticism but it might come in a master class setting where this person has never heard you sing before and may never hear you sing again and doesn't know the other rep that you're working on and what you're like in a lesson and such so you know sometimes you'll receive good criticism that just doesn't work for you or you don't agree with. And so you really can't let everything pile on top of each other, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, another sign of perfectionism I feel is um, the inability to accept compliments.
0: This is really all of us. Yeah, again. you really
1: can't be a perfectionist and not feel this <laughs> uh, on a spiritual yeah. level.
0: And the one of the worst things you can do is correct someone who compliments oh, yeah. you. The correct answer to someone complimenting you is to say thank you. If it's your best friend, then you can talk it out with them and and talk about all the things you did wrong and how embarrassed you are. But if some some adult who doesn't know or your teachers or anyone else comes up and says, that was a great performance, you say thank you and you keep your mouth shut. You do not give them a reason to judge you. Yeah, the audience often... That's a note back to four years ago me.
1: (laughs) The audience rarely picks up on your mistakes the way that you do they're excited to watch you perform you know the people that go to see you perform are there because they want to see you perform and it's almost like a relief to audience members to give you a compliment right you filled them with emotion you filled them with joy and they want to express that to you so nothing is worse or more awkward than when you turn on their compliment and say oh it really wasn't that good or like actually but whatever that but may be." it's also it rude is.
0: um because you're telling them they're wrong. Their opinion is wrong and here's yeah. why. And that's just that's just bad manners. Yeah. So
1: let them have their moment. You can take it however you want to. But I as a perfectionist, I would challenge you to accept their compliment. Even if you don't agree with it, even if you felt like it wasn't your best or whatever, you know, they thought it was wonderful and that you should feel the weight of that.
0: And another one that is kind of just a positive turn negative is not stopping to enjoy when you do succeed. Mm -hmm. I also feel seen like this. It's me (laughs) again in the mirror. No, but this is this is very real because when you're obsessed with the product of something, as soon as you complete it, no matter how good it is, you're always looking at the next project, which is kind of usually... You know, people will see that as being goal oriented or there's a lot of different words you could use to describe this kind of personality. And a lot of them are phrased positively, you know, they're hungry for success or they're ambitious. But part of it is not this is once again plays into not enjoying the process. You're so obsessed with the results and with the feedback on those results, the that kind of attention that you're not enjoying the things that come in between. And it will make you miserable because eventually you'll realize there's no finished product that will ever bring you the kind of happiness you can get from learning to enjoy the process of everything. Yeah.
1: This is huge.
0: It is always doomed to fail. And the other thing is that perfectionism is such a massive thief of joy, you'll never really see successes as success. It's that imposter syndrome. No matter how good it is, you still haven't fixed your outlook, so you're not really going to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now that we've all felt seen and uncomfortable
0: <laughs> by these signs
1: of perfectionism, why don't we turn the ta- tables? I don't know. <laughs> what am
0: I just say? Oh, how to turn tables. Well, okay. Let's, let's turn the cut tables. That out. And let's look at the other side of this and talk about the ways. No, it's staying. Um, you have no power here. We're not going to be perfectionist about this episode. I'm cutting oh, nothing God. out. Let's talk about a couple of the ways that we can actually combat this in our personal lives and our personal practices. And I think I think a big one is making a deadline and sticking to it. And that actually applies to both you and I. Because working too long on something and not getting started soon enough are both... Uh, kind of saved by saying, I'm going to work on this until this point, And that's when it ends. That's when things get sent off and they're yeah. finished. And that also includes putting out work that you don't think is perfect. I am the queen of making things and then never putting them anywhere or sending them anywhere because I don't think they're absolutely perfect, which is nonsense. Yeah. I almost didn't put out the first episode of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> because I was so anxious about the audio because I was learning a new software to edit it. And it just wasn't that important. Of course, the editing is better now. Of course, the sound quality is better now because we made that first episode and we learned from it. You've got to start putting things that are imperfect out there because that's how you get better.
1: Yeah. So stick to your deadline. Something that (laughs) you work on that you don't think is perfect more often than not is not bad. (laughs) It's usually quite good. It's just not maybe meeting your sense of whatever you've decided perfect is. And your audience wants to hear you. Your audience wants to see you. Your audience wants to see what you're working on, what you're doing with your time. So, you know, also be fair to your audience in, you know, keeping them involved. We talk about this in social media, uh, the social media episode a little bit, but your audience is never going to judge you as much as you're judging yourself. So putting something out there that isn't 100% perfect. Yes, it's scary because the internet culture can be kind of brutal sometimes, but the chances are that the majority of the people who are following you are people that want to see your content so put it out there send those audition tapes you never know what's going to happen but you do know what's going to happen if you never put it out there
0: you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take (laughs) Mm, that's a sports quote and i do not remember who says
1: it isn't that michael scott (laughs) quote
0: (laughs) wayne (laughs) gretzky wayne gretzky (laughs) (laughs) michael scott But yeah, putting stuff out there often gets us out of our own heads because very few times will people really come out of the woodwork to criticize something. More often than not, (laughs) you'll get support. And like I said, you'll just get better the more you do it, the more you pass this idea that everything you put out will be perfect because the first of anything that you put out into the world will not be perfect.
1: Yeah, it's just a fact.
0: And that's okay.
1: Yeah, you can't improve if you never do the thing. Right. So true. (laughs) You got to do the thing to get better.
0: The other thing is collaborate with others. I love working with Michelle. And because we are such different personalities, it works out really well.
1: I'm blushing.
0: And I think that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do, but you give me the impetus when I am in my head and I'm like, I don't want to put this out there because I don't think it's perfect. Well, I have to because there's another person depending on the fact that I put something out, that things get done. And that helps me move past because it's not just me. Because I can let myself down all day. (laughs) It helps to have somebody else who I don't want to let down. Um, And there's, once again, things that I'll talk to my therapist about wrapped up in that. But it, it can help a lot to work with another person. And not only that, it relieves a lot of the workload. I don't think I could pull off doing these recordings every week and doing the social media workload and editing Like that would just be unattainable for a singular person to handle and like also do music. Mm -hmm. Plus you just have built-in feedback. I send stuff to Michelle all the time. Michelle sends stuff to me all the time. I very much trust Michelle's opinion. Wow. I know Michelle's not going to let me look like (laughs) an idiot.
1: That's my job. (laughs) but yeah no I mean working with others definitely relieves a lot of the pressure that you put on yourself like you said you have another person holding you accountable you have another person giving you their perspective and I think Getting a second opinion early on is really valuable because as perfectionists, we sometimes, it's like what we were talking about earlier, you don't want to start when you don't have that 100% guarantee of success, right? Or you've committed yourself to, I'm going to do this project this way, I'm going to do whatever my task is, and maybe you put in hours and hours and hours of of work into that and then somebody comes in and you've waited too long to receive any sort of feedback and you're already 10 hours deep into your work when somebody's like, oh, well, did you think about this? Or I also have this to put on the table and now you're in a bad spiral. So working with others early on can also be really helpful because you get feedback early, which will inform all of your future work and will probably save you time depending on what you're working on. But it's also just good to have some accountability and some support from others as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, and here's the other thing, as much as I don't necessarily like this very true fact of the world, projects are almost always better when you work with other people. Collaborations almost always turn out better than what a singular person can accomplish. And I only say I don't like that, not because of you, (laughs) Michelle. (laughs) I very much, once again, like working with you. But like as a kid, I was obsessed with doing everything on my own. Cause maybe because I was the youngest or the only girl in my family, but like just an obsession with this project has to be only my work or it doesn't validate me. And that's such a weird... It's a very much a control freak thing, but I think it plays into the perfectionist thing. If other people touch this, it's not going to be as good, which is patently untrue. There are other people with other skills and other skill sets that are better at things than I am. Yeah. And there are people who will relate more to me Than you, And there are people who will relate more to you than to me. And by working together, we can attract both those groups of people.
1: Right. Yeah. I think something that perfectionists struggle with is the idea that why would I ask somebody else to do something when I know I can get it done better? This is something that I definitely struggle with. And you might get it done better than somebody that you would have asked for help from. But at the same time, it's like you also have to be respectful of your time and your energy and your efforts. And relying on help is not a bad thing it's a very, very good thing. So cut yourself some slack. Oh, yeah. Be friendly. (laughs) Let other people help you out. It's a good thing.
0: Another thing that I think is very, very helpful is experimenting more. Once again, it's that pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And a big part of this, I think, is creating safe spaces in which to experiment, which means to me, making sure that your lessons are a place where you can try new things and get feedback in a way that's kind of assessing whether or not you trust your teacher, really. Because having a teacher who will let you try different things and fail is important. You don't want to walk into a lesson and feel like there's only one way you can come into that lesson. Yeah, That's a sign that you might not have the right teacher. But also, you know, practicing with friends and getting their feedback and having friends who... You know, I joke with my friends all the time about dumb things we do in performance, but I don't go for the jugular. I don't attack my friends, and I don't make jokes about things I know they're nervous about. Right. So having groups of friends and people you trust around you, who you can perform for and get feedback for, and who you know will validate you but also tell you the truth, that's very important. And then I would always say look for a class or something new for you, music-related or otherwise, but... You know, if you don't know how to dance, go join a dance class. Honestly, they're a ton of fun. Take lessons in a different style of singing or do improv. I know improv is such a comedy cliche in terms of like college students doing improv, but I think it was really, really good for me when I was in college. And it gave me a release that I didn't feel like I got singing classical music. So look for those places where you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to be in new positions and you're going to be bad sometimes because that will get you comfortable with failure because failure is a huge part of growth i also just think that failing publicly in some form or another is a really good experience because you're going to learn you're not going to die and i think we heard (laughs) that a lot in our audition episode where we had people submit their audition stories, there were a ton of things that were for lack of a better word, kind of little failures and what you learn is that that's not the end of the world. Some of those people still got the role, still got callbacks and I think the quicker you get there the more you're going to learn to take risks and the more you're going to find yourself as a performer because you're going to be willing to make big choices. Yeah, absolutely. This next one is once again just me talking aloud to myself, so... (laughs) Get comfortable with small and incremental steps, even if you don't feel ready. I'm the worst at incremental steps. I will, if I can't do every single bit of it within four hours, I don't even want to think about it, which is a terrible way to look at things. If I can't learn an entire piece in a practice session, I don't want to practice. Starting is always better than not starting because starting will give you more information about what you need and what you need to do. Starting to learn a piece, even though you know you're not going to be able to get through as much of it as you want to, is important. And it's important not to learn all of your piece in one go. Overcoming that little hump at the beginning of every project is a skill. It gets better with time and it gets better with practice. The sooner you learn to start doing things, to go into a practice room and do your warm-ups, even though you're not really feeling it, or when you write your outline for your paper to get your mind in the right space, or you write the intro paragraph, even if you're not going to write the rest of it, every one of those steps will help you. And so often when I don't feel like working, if I promise myself that I'm just gonna do 10 minutes, I often end up doing more and feeling much better at the end of it than if I put off starting in the first place. You have to get comfortable with doing things in increments because that's how we get better. We don't get better in these all-nighter crash run sessions. You get better when you do something every single day for 20 minutes. I did an entire project one summer based around the fact that I would just do 20 minutes of practice every day. And it was amazing to look at the first, I videotaped it. But it was amazing to see the difference between when I started and when I ended those projects. Because I have always been a person who was bad at doing things every single day. So take small steps and get comfortable.
1: Yeah, those small steps are pushing you in the right direction and are pushing you closer to your goal than you know working yourself to exhaustion often does
0: exactly and we're often so much more competent than we feel on a day-to-day basis imposter syndrome once again I think the internet plays a lot into this but imposter syndrome pretty much is a huge problem for everyone I know regardless of their field Mm -hmm. and I think part of that is just we're more aware now than ever of all the things we don't know yet and I think people take it one of two ways. They either get really overconfident or they just never put themselves out there. And it's important to remember that very, very often we we are more competent than we realize. And I think a good way to remind yourself of that is to sometimes watch people who are out there doing things poorly. <laughs> There are out th- people who put themselves out there are still going to be doing better than people who never put themselves out there at all.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing is like when you see a video that somebody puts out that perhaps to you is not the best, they're still doing better than you holding all of your recordings on your hard drive. Their stuff is out there and yours isn't. So you got to kind of take everything as it is and just kind of push yourself to have that challenge. You are always better than you think you are. Your stuff is never as bad even though you don't perceive it to be perfect
0: i love true crime podcasts i've already mentioned this we love crime here (laughs) one of the things you see a lot across those podcasts is people who convinced other people they were things that they were not that's not necessarily the best example but like there are people who have faked being doctors for years there was some 18 year old who faked being a doctor which is terrifying but not the point the point is (laughs) If you are in school for something or you have a bachelor's or a master's in something, chances are you're at least qualified t- to talk about it, no matter how much you don't feel it at that moment.
1: I'm laughing, so
0: so put your stuff, Jesse, out there. I'm
1: sorry, just to go back. Are you telling our <laughs> our listeners to be like criminals?
0: <laughs> be a criminal. No, I'm very much putting out the advice. Fake it till you make it. As far as being a musician, do not fake it till you make it like a doctor. That's that's a crime. That's a real crime. That's an actual chargeable, indictable crime. So don't do that one. I'm sorry. I listened to that one recently.
1: That's amazing. Great. Well, now that we're all criminals, um, another point to help you combat your perfectionism is realizing that your best, your idea of perfect varies from day to day. So no one, no one. I repeat, no one. Not even the singers you idolize perform at 100% every time they're on stage. It's just a fact. We are all people. It's not attainable. I think one of the things that gets me personally is the idea that I'm not perfect. I will never be perfect. And I think when we hear those words, like the alarms go off in a perfectionist brain because we often identify ourselves that way. But
0: I'm already a yeah. sweat.
1: So it's uncomfortable, I know. But I think that you need to look at it in a way that recognizing that you're not perfect and you will never be perfect is a freeing thing. It relieves you of the pressures that you yourself have put on you. Nobody else is really expecting you to be perfect the way that you're expecting yourself to be perfect. People might expect excellence of you, and that is... Amazing and a good thing, but nobody's expecting you to be absolutely perfect all the time. So chill out. No. Nobody is no one is. Not even the best of the best or who you consider to be the best of the best is perfect ninety percent of the time, <laughs> you know? You'll hear all of these famous singers saying yeah. that they gave the performance that they wanted, you know, a couple a handful of times in their decade long careers. It's just not an attainable or sustainable way of living. So your best one day may be not so great, but that's okay because the next day your best might be something you're much more comfortable with. And guess what? Nothing's permanent. You can go back and fix a lot of the times the things that you did when your best wasn't that great, right? You can fix a lot of things when your best is better a different day. So don't put that pressure on yourself to always be at your 100% best every single day.
0: That's just not a a thing that any human can be. You just can't be 100% every single day. We're not capable of it. We get sick. We get emotional. We have problems. We have money issues. There are other things in life that come up. And so we can't all always be 100% there. And that's okay. Everyone understands that.
1: I think the other thing is sometimes... As perfectionists, we have those like moments of genius when we're really working at like 150%. We have one of those days like a couple times a month or however long it happens for you. And we're like, I'm invincible. This is why I can hold myself to the standard because I had this one day where I was just like everything worked out. I got everything done. I had an amazing practice session. I was just like as good as I could ever possibly be in this audition and it's unfair to yourself to always hold yourself to that standard. Just take those days as what they are. You had a really, really great day, but it's not something that you have to constantly try and replicate.
0: Getting better isn't so much about having more perfect days. It's about raising the average of your days. Yeah. So that makes sense? It's not about having peak days all the time. It's about saying that the average day is getting better. The average practice session is getting better and more efficient. And that's what's important because if you only focus on the highs and lows, you're not really getting the true picture of how you're progressing. The real progress is in the the average between those. Absolutely, yeah. I think, once again, focusing on process and progress over results. A big part of that is turning off the judgmental side of our brains and focusing on kind of like what Ryan mentioned in our episode of On Practice Routines. He talked about how he... Observes his voice when he's practicing in a way that isn't a judgment so much as it is just noticing.
1: I love Ryan Johnson for turning us on to this idea of like the observer part of your brain. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go pop on over after this one. But he basically broke it down that that he believes that there are three parts to your brain: the part of your brain that's doing the thing, right? So singing in your lesson the part that is critical and is judging everything that's happening. And then this third part of your brain, that's the observer. So not really criticizing, but is kind of observing everything that's happening and listening without that critical ear. And he talked about in his segment, that when you're in a lesson, it's easier to kind of let go because the critical side of your brain has been given to your teacher right? You are no longer necessarily in that role. You then in turn turn into the observer. I love this. It's just it makes so much sense to me and it gets me so hyped because I think that perfectionists especially can really use this to their advantage because we tend to live in critical world, right? Critical brain is where we live. Using that observer side of your brain really will help you in so many ways because you can just kind of exist and do your thing and not get stuck at the gate right not be overwhelmed with your standards immediately you can just create and then reflect after oh I love it
0: it's a very meditation-esque take on practice a generalized idea across meditation is that when you have thoughts you don't make judgment calls on them you don't ruminate on them You just accept them and let them go. And I had never considered bringing that practice into my singing, but it makes a lot of sense because the worst thing you can do when you're working on something is be judgmental about it. It just is. It's not good or bad. It's a practice session.
1: Yeah. You're just singing. And sometimes you can just sing without having to analyze every single thing that you're doing. You can just observe how it feels, how you're feeling, what it sounds like, and just sing. (laughs)
0: But yeah, and I think when you get into those judgmental moments, you really get stuck in like the details of something and you're unable to back out and see the big picture of what you're trying to accomplish. This is another one that I really struggle with. It kind of plays into the time management thing. I have trouble sometimes recognizing that I'm getting so caught up in all these tiny, tiny pieces that I am forgetting that there are other ways to accomplish it. Bigger idea of the thing I'm actually trying to do. And I think that's very much like a perfectionist problem is just getting stuck in detail.
1: Yeah, well that's a good point because I think perfectionists sometimes need to focus more on the big picture. We get really caught up in the details and the minutiae and this takes up a lot of energy and time. And sometimes we just don't have that energy and time nor should we be dedicating hours to something, right? When we might be able to get it done much sooner. So rather than nitpicking, you should ask yourself, Am I maximizing the impact of my work? Because you could lock yourself in a practice room for five hours and try to be productive, but you also just spent five hours in a practice room. Was that really the best use of your time? Sometimes you can allow things in the process of getting to a larger goal to be less than perfect by your standards so that you can actually concentrate on the larger goal at hand.
0: Last week, I had an issue with my microphone. And I didn't realize it until we had already recorded. And I spent, like, the better part of a day trying to fix it. And I don't think anyone really noticed or cared. Because it turned out I could not fix it. The software to fix the thing I had done was going to cost me a lot of money. And I decided that it was not worth it to drop all that money on a singular episode's problem. But I was obsessed with it. I It was ruining my day, mm-hmm. <laughs> and every time I heard it in the audio, I wanted to smack my face against my <laughs> desk, and that was the thing. Nobody else cared. Nobody would even think about it. They would notice it probably, but they don't care because there's a funny episode happening, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. So you have to take a step back and remember the big picture of what it is because- There are so many things that are so easily forgiven that we do not let ourselves just relax and get over.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's perfectionist 101.
0: (laughs) Don't confuse ruminating with problem solving. My obsessing over this problem wasn't making it any better. My obsession over fixing this problem didn't make it any better. It just made me crazy. And it made editing the rest of that episode a real slog for me because I was... I was so down and out about this detail that I couldn't focus on the other part of my job I needed to do, which was 90% of the work I needed to get done that day. I was wasting tons of time trying to figure out how to fix this tiny issue that was nonsensically unimportant.
1: Yeah, I think that perfectionists have a tendency to ruminate on you know, very small things that may have gone wrong or are not up to their standards and we just fixate on it. And that is not the same thing as problem solving. It's not, unless you're actually figuring out a way to either fix it or getting past the fact that perhaps you can't fix it, it's not problem solving. So it's unproductive. It's not going to help you finish your ultimate goal. If I'm just getting super frustrated with something I'm working on, distract yourself for 10 minutes, you know. You might think, oh, no, if I stop working, like the productive cycle is going to be stopped. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes your attention span and your worry over something can become so consuming that taking 10 minutes to just go walk around your house or just make yourself a snack or grab a drink, get some water can help you center and ground yourself so that that problem is put into perspective and you see it for what it is. And then the other thing is this happens to us all the time. We don't always have the 100% guarantee of success, as I've said many times in this episode. So think about an example of when you actually did accomplish something when you didn't have that guarantee. It happens all the time. You accomplish things without knowing it's going to go perfectly well all the time. So put that into perspective and try not to fixate on very, very small problems.
0: There's a productivity idea for people who have trouble focusing which is basically 20 minutes on 10 minutes off Mm. it's super handy to do so just because I think you work better when you take little breaks to let your brain back out of the details of a situation gives you a second to look over the big picture to relax kind of triggers the shower thought thinking where your brain is busy doing other things and it helps you get a clearer idea of something else those are really important things to just kind of work in your day because obsessing and focusing and never letting yourself off of something will often get you so lost.
1: Yeah so I think our final advice is you said earlier Jesse. that perfectionism is the thief of joy and I think you have to remind yourself there are many wonderful things that you accomplish daily and especially within you know the span of your career and your schooling and I think as perfectionists we have the the tendency to not register those as meaningful or as success because they weren't up to our standards. And that's actually quite sad. I think we need to kind of face the reality that if you constantly are in this mindset, you're going to have a very, very limited amount of meaningful successes or meaningful occurrences because everything is so nitpicked and held to such an unattainable standard. And that's quite sad. So I would urge you to Loosen up a little bit and realize that there are many things that you accomplish that perhaps may not be perfect, but they are still wonderful and you still made art and you still accomplish something. And we should register those as success. We should register those as meaningful, as valued experiences. Um, And I think that you'll just enjoy the process a lot more. If you register more of those moments to be a success, I think you'll be a happier musician because you will have more to look upon when you're thinking about what have I accomplished? What do I feel good about? So I would really urge you to kind of think about that for a little bit while you're in the shower. I like that idea of shower thoughts (laughs) and go through some of the things that you've accomplished and, you know, give yourself a little pat on the back. You've done some cool stuff, so register them
0: as cool. You have to... Take joy in the little successes and take joy in some of the failures, too. They're funny and silly. And if there's anything I learned from that audition episode, it's that they happen to everybody and there's something wonderful about that.
1: Absolutely. It unites us as people because where nobody is perfect and it happens to everybody, it does foster a sense of community because everybody's in the same boat.
0: Exactly. So make sure you're taking joy in the process of learning and the process of of everything that comes in between those little moments of great success because that's that's a life well lived. So, thank you for joining us this week. I wanted to shout out a couple things. Lisette Oropesa, the Soprano is having master classes. She talks about them on Instagram, so go to her page and look them up. They are done through Zoom. This week, I know she's going to have, I believe, eight singers and she's going to work with them individually. It seems really amazing. I've had a couple of friends who have told me that they're really wonderful. So if you'd like to join me, I know she does those on the weekends and I believe Wednesdays. Also, on Friday, we host an opera watch party. We've watched quite a few operas. We've watched Don Giovanni and The Cunning Little Vixen and Fille du Régiment. So we have a vote every Wednesday on our Instagram, at Opera Offstage. And there is a link to Cast, which is where we host it, in our bio. And that is on Friday at 5 Pacific Time, 8 Eastern Time. Also, we have a write-in episode coming up and we are going to be asking for your stories. This time it's going to be ridiculous things your teacher has done or ridiculous things that have happened in a master class. So we will be putting that up on the Instagram and the Facebook, once again, at Opera Offstage. So please check those out, send us your stories. We had so much fun with our last write-in episode and we really look forward to seeing what you have to say. All of the submissions are kept anonymous and you can also submit them on our website opera-offstage.com if you really enjoyed this episode please leave us a review it really really helps us and we'll see you next week bye bye